0: Good morning. Say We're grateful for the presence of everyone, especially on this last Sunday of 2023 to our guests and our visitors. And before we begin the sermon, just want to encourage every male that's in the auditorium to be thinking about what's coming up next month and our men's retreat. We're looking forward to those events. I believe the dates are January 26th and 27th. I say male retreat because anybody who's a male, regardless of age, is invited to attend. And we hope to see you there. It's always a good time of fellowship, learning together and drawing closer together in the Lord. And the second thing I want us to think about before we begin the lesson is I hope you'll come back tonight. We're going to do what we always do and worship God. But Neil's going to preach a lesson. I'm sure the lesson will be great, but there's going to be a unique approach that I believe is going to encourage and strengthen all of us as we look forward to walking with Jesus Christ in the new year. So please come back tonight for worship, even if you're a person who normally doesn't come back for evening worship. We will not turn into vampires. I promise you. We're looking forward to seeing you tonight. I know some people just can't make it because of health and vision and those sorts of things. But those of us who can, please, let's do what we can to worship God together this evening in a special way and to draw near to God together. It is that time of year. It's the time of year when people start to make their resolutions. YouTubers, bloggers, influencers, and other personalities all are sharing articles and blogs to help us be better people. In fact, if you Google the phrase, you'll find that YouTubers, bloggers, influencers are all saying the same thing. I mean, the title is exactly the same word for word on hundreds of outlets at the current moment. And it is how to make 2024 the best year of your life. And if you were to dig into the archives, I'm sure there are similar titles and similar emphases in 2023 and also in 2022. And as far back as the data suggests, you know, various people around this time of the year start to make resolutions on how to be a better person, how to change their lives in meaningful ways. And I want us to appreciate there's nothing at all wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with making goals and striving to be better and to improve our lives in various ways. But for those of us that believe in God and believe Jesus is Christ, we ought to just slightly tweak just a little bit the way the world often fashions those statements of how to make our lives the best they can be in 2024. Can't you hear them cheering you on through the titles of those statements? I mean, they want to teach us how to read more, eat healthier, travel further, live longer, Save more money. And while there's nothing wrong in and of itself with any of those things, it just seems to smack of secular humanism. It's all about me and the things I'm going to do to make my life better. What if instead of making this your year, what if you make it God's year? What if soul improvement is better than mere self-improvement? What if in 2024 we focus on how we can use the year to glorify God? You know, this idea to glorify, it means to extol, to praise another. And it also carries the idea of to praise another in such a way that you garner the attention of outsiders and influence the way people view the latter more successfully and triumphantly. Yes, when we say to glorify God, we mean to praise God and to extol God. But when we add glorify onto it, we mean something just a little bit more than that. When we say we want to glorify God, what we mean is we want to hold God in high esteem but to do it in such a way that people that look in on our lives will want to join in and do the same. It's like you posting a picture or a reel of your life and God's account getting the likes because people associate your life so much with the God who lives in you. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 10? Christ will be made manifest in my body. And that's what we mean by glorifying God. It appears in the Old Testament when Israel comes out of the Red Sea, Exodus 15 and verse two, they sing the song of Moses and they say, I will exalt and I will glorify God. It's in Psalm 34 and verse three. Oh, let us magnify the Lord together and let us exalt his name. Or as Caden read a moment ago in Psalm 86 and verse 12, I will exalt and glorify your name forevermore. But it's in the New Testament. Paul says, whatever we do, we should do it to the glory of God. Let him that glories glory in the Lord. First 1 Corinthians 131 glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. First Corinthians six and verse two. Paul says, God will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Philippians one and verse 20. And so old and New Testaments alike stress this idea and this need for us to glorify God. Again, there's nothing wrong with wanting to improve yourself. In fact, I think it's a biblical idea to strive to be a better you this year. But we need to make sure that we appreciate that improving ourselves will not necessarily mean we'll glorify God as we do it. We don't serve God accidentally. It takes intentionality. And so we should think about our lives from a theistic perspective as those that believe in God and say, No, this year isn't merely about improving my life. It's about glorifying God. And we won't do that by accident. And so we need to plan for it. We need to see how we can do this for God's good and ultimately for God's glory. How can we be sure that we don't spend all of 2024 merely focused on ourselves? How can we be sure to use it to the good and glory of God? That's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bible, we're going to look at eight ways that we can. I know some of you got the bulletin and you said eight ways. Why do we have eight points? It's because we don't have time for nine. And so we're going to look at eight ways. To glorify God in 2024 and hopefully we'll do it in such a way that other people will want to join in and do the same thing here's number one if we want to glorify God we've got to keep our word in the old law in Numbers chapter 30 Moses tells the tribe leaders of Israel when you make a vow you are to keep that vow and do everything you've said no matter what it costs you no matter how difficult it is you're to keep your word their word was binding And then Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter five in the wisdom literature of the Hebrew Bible, he says, when you make a vow, defer not to pay it because God takes no pleasure in fools better is it that you should vow than that you better is it that you shouldn't vow than that you should vow and not pay it in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 6 he says if you make a vow to God and you don't pay it God's wrath and his anger is pouring out on those that are defiant if we would glorify God in 2024 if we're going to be Christians and be God's people we've got to be individuals that keep our word no matter what yes first and foremost keep our word to God but also to those made in his image keep our word with other people the dialect of the divine is truth that means God emanates truth and when truth flows from our lips when we're people that refuse to go back on our word and we keep it no matter what in those moments we glorify and we extol the God who says I want you to always make sure you tell the truth Ephesians 425 lie not one to another speak truth everyone one with another for remembers one of another or Colossians 3 in verse 9 lie not one to another sin you put off the old man with his practices we've got to be individuals that keep our word there are people that make vows in the Bible sometimes foolish sometimes wise but whoever they are they all knew. I've got to do what I've said, whether it's Jephthah in Judges chapter 11 or Hannah in 1 Samuel one in verse 11 or Israel in numbers 21, one through two. You can read the vow and say, why would a person ever promise that? Why would they say they're going to follow through with that? Whether we liked it or not, they still appreciate it. Once they vowed, they were on the hook. And maybe we hear this and we say, well, the safest thing to do in this case, then, is not to vow. If I don't make a vow to God, well, then I'm off the hook and then I don't have to worry about defaulting on my word or anything like that. But if you're a Christian If you've already obeyed the gospel and your pledge of a good conscience, when you went down in the watery grave of baptism, first Peter 321 says you pledge with a good conscience to always obey God. There's no way around it. You've already pledged to live your life faithfully to him. And we need to make sure that we follow through. The Hebrew writer says it this way, hold fast, the confession of your faith without wavering. Hebrews ten twenty three. We are God's house if we hold fast our original confidence firm until the end. Hebrews three and verse six in two thousand twenty four we'll glorify God if no matter what we resolve to keep our word. Maybe you've done this before. You don't even know where it comes from. The whole crossing of your fingers. Maybe you've done it when you were just hoping something went your way and you crossed your fingers, both of them for good luck. Or maybe when you were joking or deceiving somebody, you put your hand behind your back and you crossed your fingers. That meant I'm not serious. Don't. I don't mean what I'm saying. It's got a rich history. Church historians say it started with the ancient church, both of them. It started when Christians were being persecuted shortly after the days of the New Testament. When a Christian was going through hardship, they would cross their fingers and make the sign of the cross as a way of saying, God, please be with me. And I hope this works out and goes my way. But as they were persecuted and difficulty came on them, some Christians would sometimes recant and say, I don't know Jesus. I'm not a Christian. I'm not aligned with those people. And they would make the cross as a way of signaling to God. God, forgive me for what I've just done. I really didn't mean what I've said. But what if in 2024 we don't cross our fingers, our eyes, our toes, our hearts or anything else? What if we just keep our commitments and do exactly what we said we were going to do and be faithful to the God who's been faithful to us? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, but God is faithful who won't allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. Paul says if we deny him, he is faithful to us. 2 Timothy two and verse 13 we will glorify God in this new year. If we keep our word no matter what, what does that mean? It means on our jobs. When we tell our employer we're going to do something and do something by a certain time and do it in a certain fashion. We keep our word because we don't really work for them. We work for God. Colossians 3, 22 to 24. It means when our children are talking to us, we don't just nod and shake our heads as a way of dismissing them without ever, uh, ever thinking about following through on what we've said. They expect us to be truth tellers because we're Christians and we don't frustrate them with our dishonesty. Colossians three and verse 20. When we say to our spouses, we're going to do this or we're going to stop complaining or nagging about this or we're going to do this project, though imperfect. We're going to do it and do do it to the best of our ability because we're individuals who realize relationships are built on trust and we're heirs together of the grace of life, 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. And above all else, we want to keep our word to God because we promise to be faithful to him and he's been faithful to us. You see, in a world where we need contracts and people to sign on a dotted line because so many people say one thing and do another, we'll stand out above the whole world if we just do what we say we're going to do because we serve a God who always does what he says he will. Keep your word in 2024 and you'll glorify God. But here's number two. Repent of your sins immediately. None of us can expect to go into 2024 and go through the whole year without sinning. John says in 1 John 1, 8 through 10, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. In Romans 3, 10 through 12, Paul says there's none righteous, no, not one. All of sin and keep coming short is the present tense of Paul's statement in 23. All of sin and keep coming short of the glory of God. We won't be sinlessly perfect, but we can glorify God by repenting of our sins immediately. If you have your Bible, go to Psalm 32. Psalms 32 and 38 are both attributed to David as the author, and they both have two things in common. In these Psalms, David mentions his sins and his transgressions, but he also mentions this heart and this desire to repent when caught in these transgressions. Psalm 32 and verse 5, he says, I acknowledge my transgression to you. I confess my sin. I did not hide my iniquity. And notice what happens at the end of verse 5. He says, you forgave my iniquity. Why? Because David repented. Psalm 38 and verse 18, he says, I acknowledge my transgression. I'm sorry for my sin. David comes out, he sins, but David repents. Maybe we read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and we wonder what was so special about David. I mean, David sinned just like every one of us. He had weaknesses. He had strengths. Some of the things David did are far worse than anything anybody in this auditorium has ever done. What makes David so special? At least one of the things that sets David apart from just about anybody else you'll ever read about in the Bible is when David was called to the carpet for his sins. He repents readily and quickly more than just about anybody else you ever read about. Read first Samuel and see when Saul's caught in a transgression, it's everybody else's fault. But when David's caught in sin, it's nobody else's fault. It's always me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this wickedness in your sight that you might be justified when you speak and clear when you judge. Psalm 51, three and four. Nathan confronts him in Second Samuel 12 and he says, thou art the man. And David says, I have sinned against the Lord. Second Samuel 12, 13. You want to glorify God in 2024. Repent of sins immediately. This means for the person who has never obeyed the gospel. That if you believe Jesus is the son of God and he is Acts 2 and verse 36, God has made him both Lord and Christ. Then it means you need to repent of your sins and obey the gospel and be baptized. Acts 2 and verse 38. But it also means for those of us who are already Christians, if we're going to glorify God, there needs to be a continual repentance in our lives when we realize we've missed the mark. 2 Corinthians seven and verse 10 says godly sorrow leads to a repentance that does not need to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. When we realize we've missed the mark, we need to repent. But that's not anything new. If you're a Christian, you already knew when you sin, you need to repent. But I want to stretch us here, not just saying that when you sin in 2024, make sure to repent. This point isn't about that, though, that's underlying this point. The idea is on this one is we need to make sure we do it with some speed. When we sin, repent immediately, not because we're going to lose our salvation and we need to quickly repent to get back into God's good graces. As we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood continues to cleanse us. First John 1:7. But we need to repent of our sins immediately because we need to let the devil know and the world know. And even ourselves, we find no pleasure. We take no enjoyment in disobeying God. And we want to get out of that situation as soon as we can. Am I the only person who's ever been angry? I mean, sinfully angry. And you knew I'm not going to stay like this. I need to repent. But I just want to be mad right now. Nobody talked to me. I just want to be mad. Furthermore, to ignite it even more, I'm going to think of more things to get me madder than I already am. I'm going to repent, but just not right now. I'm going to change my ways, but I'm going to say this last dirty thing. I'm going to say this one last thing. I'm here. I'm going to get this off my chest. I'm going to say this one last thing. Then I'll say sorry. I'm changing my ways, but I've got to tell you this last story while I'm at it. You're laughing. I'll tell you this one last story. You know what? I'm not going to watch stuff like that. I'm going to repent of my sins, but it's Thursday. I mean, I've already messed up the week. Why start there? I might as well start on a Monday. You see, we find all kind of silly reasons to delay our repentance and do what we know we should do. We forget that our sins will find us out, and it's better to be rid of them than to rot in them. Numbers 32 and verse 23, Moses says, be sure your sins, they will find you out. Repent immediately, right away, and don't delay. Do what God wants you to do. Don't make excuses. Turn away from sin the moment you know it. The moment we know we're outside of the bounds of God's will, we should turn away from sin because we're saying to the world, we have had our spiritual taste buds altered by God. And if God says something's bad for us, it's just bad for us, regardless of how it tastes to us. Turn away from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it, First Peter 3.11. And as soon as you bring it to our attention, we want to do what's right. If it takes us just as long to make amends and admit when we're wrong as it does a non-believer, what's different about us? What does Jesus say in Matthew 5 and verse 47? What do you more than others? If we would change our minds and repent and apologize with the same speed as another person who doesn't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, how are we any different? You see, we glorify God and we draw attention to God when as soon as we know we're in the wrong, we rush to make things right. In 2024, let's just do it. When we're wrong, no excuses. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't the circumstances. This one was on me. Just admit it. When we say things we shouldn't say, when we offend people in the wrong way, let's repent immediately. Yes, God delights to forgive and he will forgive. But God's favor rests on the person who does this. Isaiah 57 and verse 15, God says, I inhabit eternity and also the one that is of a contrite and lowly spirit. God is near to the brokenhearted and saves those that are of crushed spirit. God doesn't favor the perfect. God favors the penitent. That's the person that says, I'm sorry for what I've done. Matthew five and verse four. Blessed are those that mourn for they'll be comforted. How is God glorified in delayed contrition? I know I need to repent. I know I need to make amends. But God, I'll say sorry and I'll repent when I get to it. No, if we're going to glorify God in the new year, every one of us. We can do it when we repent of our sins immediately. Here's number three. No, here's number three. All right. There we go. Think souls. This is not new. This is as old as the New Testament. But I confess I saw this phrase or this sign years ago on some information from Bear Valley shared by Neil and Kathy. And they could probably tell you more about the origin of this phrase. But the idea of thinking souls just means you live your life realizing that everybody you meet is going to either one of two destinies. According to Jesus in Matthew 7, 13, and 14, people are either headed to eternity with God or eternity separated from God, and we will glorify God if we live the new year in 2024 and all of our days thinking about the souls of other people. Turn your Bible to Romans chapter 1 and notice what Paul does in Romans 1 and verse 14. In Romans 1, 14, Paul talks about his obligation as a Christian with knowledge of the gospel to share the gospel with people from every demographic, Romans 1:14, Paul says, I am a debtor. Or I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul has saving knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ and he thought souls. He wanted to get to other people. Why? Look at verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul believed that people were lost without the gospel and his whole life was about thinking about souls. And where are people going to spend eternity? And in doing that, he glorified God. We will glorify God in 2024 if we think about people as souls. What does this mean? It means if you're a Christian, if I'm a Christian, if we belong to God. We structure our lives in such a way that we will readily and happily surrender any of our Christian liberties if it will make a non-believer comfortable enough to give Jesus a chance. We readily give up any of our Christian liberties. We'll change anything about ourselves and be glad to do it. Not so they'll obey the gospel. They might, they might not. But if it means they'll give Jesus a chance, we readily do it because it means that much to us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9:19 9, through 23. Though I'm free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. To those under the law, as under the law, I'm not, I'm not under the law. But Paul says, I was as if I was. As those without law, as without the law, that I might win them. Though I was under the law of God and Christ, i become all things to all men that I might by any means save some. And I do it for the gospel's sake, so that they might become a partaker of it with me. Paul says, I want them saved. And so I surrender myself. You want to glorify God in the new year? Think souls. Think about other people first. James Clear says, if you want to love something, throw your all into it because passion follows commitment. If you want to know how can I love another soul? Just throw your heart into one and watch what happens. It's said about David in 1 Samuel 20 and verse 17. He loved Jonathan as much as he loved his own soul. Is that possible? Yes, it's possible. If you think souls and pour your life into other people, and that's exactly what Paul did. And every one of us needs to do the same. What does that mean? It means even though it might be awkward and embarrassing, when you know other people are struggling, you go to them and you say, can I pray for you and be willing to do it right then and there. That's what Paul did on the ship full of unbelievers. In Acts 27 and verse 35, Paul says, I'm praying for my food and everybody else's. Now, don't do that at lunch tomorrow. But if you get an opportunity, pray with people. Paul did. It means being patient. Waiting for open doors to open to reach people with the gospel. But in every relationship, you're on the edge of your seat and you're wondering, I just wonder how I can turn this conversation or relationship spiritual, how I might invite them to worship or to study the Bible with me because I want them to know Jesus Christ and submit to the gospel. It means in an upcoming election year, you think about this beforehand. You say, I won't view anybody or judge anybody based on the bumper sticker on their car for good or ill. But instead, I'll say to myself, in the end, if this individual dies unsealed with the spirit of God, they're forever lost, no matter who's in office. And you let that be your starting point. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 916, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He thought about people's souls and he wanted to reach them. What if every one of us tries to bring one in 2024? What if we all just try to bring one individual? What if every one of us tries to restore one who used to be among us, but for reasons beyond our control, they have walked away? The response would be theirs, but in our mere attempt, the glory would be God's. How do we glorify God in 2024? Get outside of ourselves and think about the souls of other people. Here's number four. Be a Bible student. This time of year, people are bringing out their schedules, and I think that's great. People are making goals to read through the Bible in a year or in a set amount of time. And I think that's a great thing. I think it's a great time to start in January. This point is not so much about championing any program or any amount of reading or any plan, though. I think that's great. And if you're interested in a Bible reading program, I'd be happy to give you one or Neil or our elders be happy to give you a Bible reading plan to help you get through the year. This point is not about how much Bible you read this year. It's not even about making sure you get through the Bible in a year. It's about changing our mindset and saying, I will be a Bible student in 2024. You think about people like Ezra, Ezra, chapter seven and verse 10. It says Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Paul encouraged Timothy in 2 Timothy 2:15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a worker that doesn't need to be ashamed, one who rightly handles the word of truth in the new year. Commit to being a Bible student, not a Bible expert, just a student. That means just pick up the Bible and just read and study for yourself. In the end, Bible study is not really about getting us into the Bible. The more you read the Bible, you realize it's about getting the Bible into us and being changed by its message. It's about approaching the text with faith, believing that it's come from God and letting it do the work on our hearts. You know, there are all kinds of skeptics that need to be convinced that this book is really divine that this book has come to us from God. And we've got all kinds of proofs for that. I mean, Daniel Wallace and others have said we've got 5000 Greek manuscripts and there's archaeology and artifacts. But perhaps one of the most overlooked pieces of evidence is the way the Christian treats his Bible. If we read the Bible like it really came from heaven to earth, maybe those that doubt will do a double take. Paul says his newborn babes or Peter in first Peter two and verse two sincere seekers. Be those that desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow thereby in 2024. Just commit to being a Bible student. I don't know. Everett Alexander, if he sat on this front pew right now, I wouldn't know who he was. I don't know where he's from. I don't know his nationality. I don't know what he did for a living. I don't know where he grew up or anything about him. All I knew is all I know is that he's a Christian and he loved his Bible. When I was in Florida, there was this estate sale. Some people were liquidating some things and they were selling some books. And so I went and some of the books were Alexander's and somebody gave me a whole set of books by him. And he signed every one of them. Among the books was this New Testament, his New King James New Testament. And I've read through this several times. But what strikes me about Everett Alexander's New Testament is he was really a student of the scriptures. You start reading through this. I don't know if he was a preacher. I don't know anything about him except he loved the word of God. He marks the pages. He writes down silly facts that you would think as if he was trying to get his graduation diploma from Pew Packers. He's listing out the apostles on the side. He goes through and he counts every verse of every book in the New Testament and writes it at the end. I'm sure he wasn't following any modernized plan from a U-Version Bible app or anything like that, because sometimes he writes the date and he just stops right in the middle of the chapter and then picks up the next day. You know what Alexander did? He picked up his own bible he found his own way and he stuck with it he underlined phrases that meant a lot to him he has the dates that he read saturday february 24th 1990 he signed it he wrote down he counted up all of the verses of the books and he would put that in there he would check the old testament references whenever paul or somebody cited something go to the old testament and verify it and then put a check mark he was just being a bible student He was just trying to love the word of God and read and study the Bible. I don't know if he's living or has stepped into eternity, but here's what I know. Loved his Bible. And in so doing, you would have to assume he loved his God. Can this be your year? Can this be the year where you just become a Bible student? Before you ask anybody else, you say, you know what, I'm going to try to look that one up myself. Instead of saying, I've just never been good at memory work. What if you memorized one verse a month? What if you go into twenty five knowing twelve more verses than you knew now? What if this was the year? That you just said, you know what? Hey, three years better than the Bible is better than no years through the Bible. Amen. Don't quit in Leviticus. You just press through. It's not really about how much you read. It's about in the end getting into the word of God and letting it transform you. 2024 will glorify God if we just resolve to be students of his word. We just want to get the word of God in us and we let it change us. Here's the next one. Serve the less fortunate. Paul says in Galatians 2 and verse 10 that when he took the gospel to the Gentiles, the Jews told him, make sure to remember the poor. And then in Galatians 2 and verse 10, he says, that's the very thing I was eager to do. Paul couldn't wait to do it. James 1 27 says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows and their affliction and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Now, we've got to go fast, but just appreciate that this point is so important that in the Old Testament, especially in wisdom literature, the way people treated the poor was as if that that's the same way they treated God. So Psalm 41, one through three. The psalmist says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. God will protect him in trouble, bless his life, and make sure that he prospers. In Proverbs 19 and verse 17, the Bible says, when you lend to the poor, it's like giving God Almighty a loan himself. Proverbs 21 and verse 23 says, if you shut your ears at the cry of the poor, God will shut his ears concerning you. In 2024, let's remember to serve the less fortunate. There are normally two extremes when it comes to a point like this. There's the bear hug approach and the stiff arm approach, and we ought to avoid both. The stiff arm approach says when people that are in need come to me, get away from me. I don't want to help people like that. The bear hug approach is a person who loves to help people that are less fortunate and wants them to remain less fortunate because in their own vainglory, they get some kind of value from helping people, and it gives them some kind of self-worth. And so they love when people come to them to help them, but they become enablers. What if we just do like Jesus in Acts 10 and verse 38 and we go about doing good? We're not gullible. We're not silly, but we're also not selfish and we want to serve other people. If we do that, we'll be the people that Jesus says what you've done to the least of these. You've done to me, Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Serve the less fortunate. You know, you think about the miracles of Jesus and Jesus performed miracles just to show his power. Yes, it affirmed his teaching. Yes, it showed his deity. But Jesus was always doing things for people that didn't have it. He never fed a full person. He never gave sight to a person who could already see. He never healed the healthy. Jesus, his miracles are parables of instruction. Yes, they show his power and his deity. Yes, there's a greater purpose behind the miracles. But don't miss this. Just because you and I don't possess the miraculous ability that Jesus did doesn't mean if we have the same care and concern, we won't be able to do just as much good as Jesus did with the resources in our hands. What does the Hebrew writer say in Hebrews 13, 16? Do good. Don't forget to communicate. Because with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Who can we do good to? Who can we do good for? As we have opportunity, do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. Galatians 6, 10. Remember to serve the less fortunate. And there are people all around us that are in need and we can do it to the good and glory of God. Here's the next one. Number six, less worry and more prayer. Turn your Bible to Philippians 4, 6 and 7. You probably already know these verses, but in 2024, we'll glorify God if there's less worry in our lives and more prayer. Paul says in Philippians four and verse six, be anxious or careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What if in 2024 we just took Paul at his words and we did the best that we could to, to pray more and worry less? The phenomenon of biting your nails, they say it comes from all sorts. Some people start as young children. They never give it up. Sometimes people bite their nails because they're understimulated. They're bored. There's nothing else to do. So they bite their nails. But then there are times when people bite their nails because they're overstimulated. They're anxious. They're concerned. And just as a natural reflex, they give in. They start biting their nails because they're worried and they're concerned. But what if in 2024, instead of biting our nails, we decide to bend our knees Psalm 55 and verse 22. Listen to the confidence oozing from David's pen. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That doesn't mean we don't have anything to worry about or anything to fear. But we refuse to live this new year as if we've read God's obituary in the newspaper because we never will. And we believe that if God's alive, and he is, if he's our very present help in time of trouble, and he is, he's just that. He's very present. Psalm 46 and verse 1, and we're not going to let worry cripple us and get the best of us. We'll pour out our hearts before God, Psalm 62 and verse 8. And even when we are afraid, and we will be, we'll do like David in Psalm 56 and verse 3. In the times I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. We won't chew our nails like sunflower seeds. Instead, we're going to pray to God and say, God, I need you to help me. I want you to help me. And I believe that you will. Less worry and more prayer. Committing our lives to a God who's involved, who's concerned and that says to the world, we trust God no matter what. Here's number seven. Love the local church. In 2024, we'll glorify God if we love the church, the body of believers, the people that make up the family of God. In Galatians 6 and verse 16, Paul calls it the true Israel of God. And in Ephesians 6, 24, he says, peace be on all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. In 2024, we'll glorify God if we love the church, yes, but especially the local church at Lehman Avenue, Cumberland Trace to be, love the local church in 2024. In the New Testament times, if you tried to be a Christian without the local church, you wouldn't be one. You wouldn't have a copy of the Bible. Every letter, every epistle was written to individuals in a local gathering. The idea that a person could be a Christian at large separated from the local church. You go up to them and you say, are you a Christian? And they say, yes. Where do you go to church? I don't have a church home right now. It's foreign to the New Testament. There would be no New Testament if that was an actual philosophy and approach. Christianity has always been congregational. And so in 2024, pour in your all to the local church. Peter says we've been given gifts, yes, to bless the world, but also to bless one another. Peter says, love the local church. First Peter, four, 10 and 11. He doesn't use those words, but he says, as everybody has a gift, use it so that we might be individuals that are good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If teaching speak as the oracles of God, if service serve with the ability that God gives, that in everything God may be glorified through our Lord Jesus Christ. To him belongs glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Just make this the year 2024 that we all get together, all in together and we glorify God. No more hokey pokey Christianity. Right foot in, left foot out. And we just I'm sometimes I'm not going to shake anything. Don't worry. (laughs) What if we're all in together in 24? Congregational Christianity. First Corinthians 12. What if we just admit it? None of us can do it by ourselves. Not simply because we're limited, but because we're weak. Every one of us is weak. You might be a strong teacher, but you may not be the best servant. You might be great at evangelism, but not so at encouragement. What if we all just admit we need one another and we glorify God as the world looks in and says, I've never seen teamwork and chemistry like that. They're from different places, from different walks of life, different ages, different mindsets, all united toward one goal, one purpose, not to glorify themselves, but to glorify God. Here's the last one, number eight. We'll glorify God in 2024 if we just decide to boast in the cross. Now, before we end, turn your Bible to Galatians chapter 6 and notice what Paul says in verse 14. Galatians 6 and verse 14, as Paul gets to the end of the book of Galatians, he makes this statement on which we're going to end this sermon, and it is this. God forbid that I should glory or boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world's been crucified to me. And I unto the world. What does Paul mean when he says that? Paul means this. My all in all, my everything is tied to what happened at the cross. That means all of our hopes, all of our dreams, everything we hope to be accomplished is tied to the fact that we really believe it happened. That we believe Jesus died. He was buried and he rose the third day. And we're not proud of anything. We're not excited in ourselves about anything except that. That's exactly what Paul means. It's what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 131 when he says, let him that glories. Glories in the Lord. It's not about making this my year. It's about making it God's year. It's what John means in John three thirty. He must increase and I must gladly decrease. Glorifying God means I live my life trying to show people not how awesome I am, but how awesome God is. And listen, people can tell which one of those statements we really believe. Every one of us gets to decide, are we going to boast in the cross or boast in ourselves? You've seen sparklers before, Fourth of July or weddings. You know what sparklers do. They shine for a little bit. They draw attention to themselves and then they go out. You can be a sparkler or you can be a candle. You see, a candle lights things, but nobody ever walks up to a candle that's on fire and says, oh, what a cool candle. No, candles burn so that they can give light to everything around them. Isn't that what Jesus is after in Matthew 5, 16? Let your light so shine before men so that they might not see you. See your good works and glorify God, which is in heaven. If you're a candle, people don't stop and stare and look at you. They want to get to the source behind the light that you shine. And then we get to say Jesus is the light and in him is no darkness at all. John 8 and verse 12 in 2024. Let us boast glory. Let our all in all be what we find in the cross. May the stanza from the hymn be our anthem. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ alone, his death and resurrection. If we do that, God will be glorified in the way we live our lives. Solio Deo Gloria is a Latin phrase, and it means glory to God alone. It's said to be popularized by the Reformers in the 1600s, but I don't believe them because Isaiah said that 2,700 years before the Protestant Reformation. In Isaiah 42 and verse 8, God says, I'm God. I want all the glory, and I won't give my glory to another. This year is God's year, and it can be. If we live the right kind of way, if we better ourselves, that's great. But we do it because we were made for his glory, and that's what we want to do, Isaiah 43 and verse 7. Make much of God this year by living our lives to his good and glory. I hope this year is great for you. I hope you soar higher and go further. I hope everything works out just the way we plan it. But I hope we always remember, especially as we look at life through the lens of the cross, even if 2024 is a year full of scrapes and scars. Calvary's already told us God can be glorified in that, too. God says, give me the years and I'll give you a blessed eternity. God wants us to glorify him. But Romans 8:17 says he's not selfish. Eventually, he says, you'll be glorified together with me. Let's point the world to Jesus by the way we live, by the way we conduct ourselves, And then God will ultimately be the one that receives the glory. Maybe today you need to glorify God by repenting immediately of your sins because you believe he's Christ. Based on that repentance and belief, you confess him as Lord and you want to be immersed in water to have your sins forgiven. We'd be happy to assist with that. It would be our greatest honor. You won't interrupt our plans. You won't delay our plans. We'd be happy to serve you. Help you to obey the gospel. If we can pray for you or pray with you about anything, Clint's going to lead us in a song to encourage us. If you need to respond, do so now as together we stand and as we sing.